tidy as I'd like it to be, but it's a home office. All right, we are now streaming live. Um, thank you all for joining us today on our uh, last Monday of the year. So uh, we, uh, I hope everybody's staying warm. Today is December 18th, and uh, we have a guest speaker today uh, with us just to... Um, just to uh, piggyback on what we were talking about last week, last week, December 10th, was International Human Rights Day. And uh, as we talked about, that day commemorates the day in 1948, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So today we brought on our Zoom the Director of Legislative Affairs and Policy at the Illinois Department of Human Rights, Jason Rosenweg. So um, his bio, he again serves as the Director of Legislative Affairs and Policy at the Illinois Department of Human Rights and as a commissioner on the Illinois Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes. He's an adjunct professor at Northwestern University, teaching government at Stateville Prison as part of the Northwestern Prison Education Project. And then previously, he was the director of Chicago for the Shalom Hartman Institute. Uh, that is a think tank, if you're not familiar with them. And then previously, he was an academic studying pluralism and community. He received his PhD at the University of Chicago and taught there and at American University teaching government, political philosophy, and history. Jason, what a bio you have, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good to, good to be with you. So uh, for people who don't know, can you just give a quick summary of the Illinois Human Rights Act, why it's important, the mission of the Department of Human Rights, and um, how do they? How do you carry out this mission? It seems like a pretty large mission in the uh, climate we're living in today. Yeah, so I, there's kind of two answers to the question. There's the most direct, like, function of the department, and then there's a sort of a broader answer. But speaking about the fundamental nature of the department and the Human Rights Act, the Human Rights Act was passed about 50 years ago, but it's been repeatedly updated and altered uh, changes from experience, new protections that are needed, and now is one of the most, if not the most robust state human rights act or civil rights act, as a lot of states call them in the country. Um, and principally, it tries to lay out what constitutes discrimination that's unlawful. Some discrimination is lawful, like you don't have to let your kid play with the kid next door for whatever reason. But if someone comes into your business and you don't want to serve them because they're a member of a protected class, like because of their race or their religion or their age or their gender, then that can be unlawful. So the Human Rights Act tries to define, like I see it as sort of coming together to collectively define the limits of acceptable behavior. Uh, a violation of the Human Rights Act is not a criminal violation, it's a civil violation. A human rights violation is a civil violation, but it helps us define sort of the boundaries of acceptable behavior and the way that different groups can and can't treat each other. So the Human Rights Department, you can come to the Human Rights Department and say, I think I've been discriminated against, and you can file a complaint, and we can help you fill out the paperwork and, and, and get that going, and then we'll investigate. You can have a lawyer. It can help, but you don't need a lawyer uh, for this process, uh, and the department will investigate and then make a determination of whether they think there's evidence of discrimination. And then you can choose to go into regular court 
or you can go to the Human Rights Commission. This is one of the unique things about Illinois. A lot of states would have the Human Rights Department and the Commission as one agency that both does the investigation and then the adjudication at the end. But in Illinois, it's split into two sides. So once the investigation is completed, you go to the commission and they will uh, render a judgment and, and penalties and so forth. Uh, there, there can also be mediation either at the department phase or the commission phase. Um, and all of this is meant to ensure that everyone, and this applies whether you're a resident in Illinois, whether you're a citizen, everyone in Illinois has these rights. Um, and they apply in five principal areas. Housing and employment are the biggest ones. Employment is the biggest area. Um, most of the claims come from employment. We also have public accommodations, which would be like a public restaurant or a public library, things like that, that everyone has a right to use. And then there are specific things having to do with financial credit and some specific things having to do with schools. No, that's wonderful. So if somebody feels like they're discriminated on the job site or they're denied, repeatedly denied housing or something to that effect, they come to the commission and the department. And then when you talk about adjudication, does that mean that it just levies fines? Do they forward on um, questionable criminal behavior to the AG's office? What Could you expound on that just a little bit more for folks that might not be really familiar uh, but they might be experiencing uh, discrimination in their workplace and uh, would like to know the, you know, what remedies uh, that, I know you said it's civil for those that aren't lawyers, you know, civil and criminal are two different things, but could you just expand uh, a bit on, on those uh, small definitions? So I would, I would imagine that in, in certain cases where criminal behavior came up, it would get referred to other agencies, but for, for the most part, the, the cases that go to the commission will result in financial penalties, um, and, which, which are, are usually received by the, the victim in that case. But it also could include, like, like any other civil judgment, it can include, like, you need to hire this person back. Like, you need to commit to handling these situations differently in the future. There can be other terms that are added um, to try and... Uh, you know, create a situation that seems protected from that discrimination continuing to happen in the future. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> no, we really appreciate the hard work that the Human Rights Commission does and the Department of Human Rights. So um, what is, now I realize that we're talking a lot, there's been a lot of um, uh, hate crimes, and I know that Illinois has expounded their their hate crimes definition, and and we've worked really hard to ensure, like you said, that everybody feels included and um, and have their inalienable rights. If somebody is believes that they are, but they don't know if they are like the subject of hate or hate crimes, they can call pretty much your commission or your department with any and all questions with regards to uh, individuals' behavior? To an extent, the Human Rights Department's purview is really mm -hmm. trying to sort out what might be unlawful discrimination uh, that, the, the, that would violate the Human Rights Act. The Hate Crimes Commission, which is the full name is the Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes. So that includes lawful hate, lawful racism, 
lawful um, uh, bias and discrimination. So that purview is a, is a little bit broader. And one of the big initiatives of that uh, commission, which uh, was activated relatively recently, uh, will be launching a statewide helpline in, in 2024, which will be that kind of central point for anyone experiencing anything in this whole range of possible behaviors or discrimination or crime. Um, and then they could help guide people toward the appropriate places and resources to report that or get supported with that. So that's, um, and, and you're on a commit, you're a commissioner on the, uh, commission commissioner on the Illinois commission on discrimination and hate crimes. And what are, what are some of the, the, uh, instances that you view as a commissioner, uh, your role as a commissioner on this, um, the commissioner on this commission, uh, uh, that you do that you that you guys look at and um and evaluate in terms of hate crimes and, and discrimination sure so the the commission is the governor's appointed advisory commission we don't like adjudicate cases or or things like that but the principal purpose therefore is to provide recommendations to the governor to the general assembly to others in the state for all the different things that we should be doing that would help in the response to hate crimes and the prevention of hate crimes. So trying to think, some of them are very concrete, like police training or the helpline, like concrete intervention to help with the response and prevention. But some of them are broader, like creating a network of community organizations and government officials that, that work in this space around the state um, so we, we try to think what are the, what are the things that the state as a whole can be doing to improve the response and the prevention? Um, and also because there are now so many, just in the last few years, there's a lot of people and organizations or human relations commissions somewhere in the state that are starting to work on these issues. We want to try to create some coordination, information sharing, convening, uh, bringing together the different efforts around the state. And then um, you said the commission's an advisory commission, and uh, I know from uh, obviously being a legislator that these commissions do a lot of work in uh, evaluating the current laws we have on the books and how we can improve them. And um, things such as training, I know that with our law enforcement, there's training and and those kind of initiatives that go forward. Um, and so I think that... Um, individuals can have uh, faith that that not only the um, Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes are looking to, um, for lack of a better word, strengthen our laws that are on the books, but also uh, in, in working with the Department of Human Rights, also looking at that juncture as well with regards to how can our laws uh, be improved, be strengthened, and um, be broad so that it, it, the the bulk of the individuals that uh, that need the help get the help, as you said, the helpline and those kind of things. Are there any other um, situations either either on the Human Rights Act or or the uh, Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes that um, you know everyday people? What can everyday people do to help out or to um, support uh, you know the the commission or or the Department of Human Rights or the Human Rights Commission or or get involved, that there are people that are listening that want to get involved 
Um, how would they how would they go about doing that? Well, uh, probably two slightly different answers for the department and the commission. For the department, we we certainly want people to to come to us and to to understand what the protections and potential uh, you know redress that the the department can offer. Because I think a lot of people they don't know these rights. They don't know uh, that these things are unlawful. They don't know that there's a place they can go to without a lawyer that could that could help with the situation. So. One thing is just learning those things and then, you know, telling the people in your lives that might uh, might encounter those situations. Um, the Hate Crimes Commission, similarly, you know, hate crimes are reported by a factor of 20, sorry, underreported by a factor of 25 to 50. So a lot of work in hate crimes is about teaching people what they are, who to call, and encouraging people to report uh, because, we can't get a, a picture of what's going on and, and understand what the problems are otherwise. So one is report, but the other is, you know, hate crimes are so specific to the particular group, the particular moment, the particular place. And we try and learn as much as we can about what are the experiences of different groups in Illinois um, at any given point. But we, we need people to come to us and say, you know what, this thing is happening to this community here in Aurora, or there's this conflict between these two communities here. Uh, we need that kind of input from the from the community to understand what's going on around the state. No, that sounds wonderful. And then, um, I mean, wonderful that you guys are so uh, open and, and want people to contact you. In addition to that, I believe uh, like cities such as Aurora, they have local human rights commissions as well on their local boards. So um, if somebody wants to reach out uh, on a local level, I know the city of Aurora has a, a commission of human rights and, and uh, a lot of those. Do you work in conjunction with some of these local human rights commissions as well? If a city happens to have established uh, a human rights commission on their local level of local leaders? We, we do. We, I don't know if there's a system for like, passing cases between the two if, if they if they also handle cases. But we certainly do try and communicate as much as possible changes in the law, um, uh, clarifications of the law and so forth, because those local commissions, you know, need, need to understand the, the nature of the Illinois law. Um, but it's it's one of the things we're, we're planning to do actually in 2024 is to, to do a statewide study of a lot of these things. And one of those things is getting a map, a detailed map of all of the government actors, all of the official actors that are doing things to create a system to, to connect them all. No, that's wonderful. I know that um, that every day we need to to come together and, and work against uh, discrimination and, um, you know, it's it's just uh, sometimes I'm I'm beyond words in the in the trajectory of some of the behaviors of individuals I've seen uh, recently, uh, in um, so in that regards, does the does the um, either the Department of Human Rights or the Commission you talked a little bit about it uh, work hard to disseminate information and try to counter some of these. Um, narratives that we're, we're seeing that's, um, it seems like they want to fuel the the division and the discrimination and, and some of the, the rhetoric that's out there. Uh, so is is either the department 
or the commission um, advising to try to counter some of these, um, you know, obviously it's social media is, is a huge driver of, of these uh, negative divisive uh, narratives and words and, and feelings and sentiment. So is there any uh, discussion with regards to looking at broadening out and trying to really counter some of that information that's out there mostly on social media? Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot because you're right. That is a big part of the landscape and a big generator of this kind of, of social conflict. Uh, you know, the most direct way to address social media and some of those issues particularly is through regulation. And while it's not completely out of the question that you could do that at the state level, it's probably something that will happen at the federal level. Um, and, you know, there's a little more attention. The Surgeon General has, you know, been talking about social media and isolation and so forth as a, a public health crisis kind of thing, um, which I think is, is helpful for people to, to understand these things. But uh, one concrete thing we're, we're looking at, what, what are the ways that we can do education and outreach work that will most, not just, not so much like change people's minds from, from bad ideas, but maybe prevent them from taking up those ideas in the first place. Um, there are, there's interesting sort of innovations and, and research on the ways that you can try and like there's a word inoculation you can sort of by presenting certain information in a certain way up front then it prepares people better for the stuff that they see and read no that makes sense so they're just not shocked we talk about this a lot uh, uh on my facebook live that if there's a, a meme or, or a uh, a story that inflames that that hatred and that fear that most likely it's it's not true or there's elements of falsehood or it's manipulative in nature and and i try to talk a lot about um trying to be good stewards on social media and i think um you know the general assembly has looked at legislation with regards to social media literacy you know and and newsworthiness and trying to find that out and then I know that, um, and and this might be under your purview or not, but the general uh, the general assembly is looking at these algorithms that uh, tend to uh, put people in a circular bubble or, or a circular stream of of one type of of um, news or influence that uh, perpetually comes up in their social media feed. And I'm and I'm sure that uh, the Department of Human Rights will have some sort of input with regard to the, that, the way the algorithms and social media really uh, hook into people and keep them in a certain spot without giving them a narrative that they can balance out of. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the department is very concerned about the increasing potential for different kinds of safety problems is sort of a broad word when it comes to like this AI and algorithmic stuff, which I would kind of put in two categories. There's the, the discrimination, which is that it might, you know, treat maybe unwittingly, but treat people differently or flag things differently in a way that can be discriminatory. You know, you saw like early, uh, early things with facial recognition where it mixes up animals for people of certain races and 
that so the algorithm is is sort of just being discriminatory. But the, what you're talking about more is something kind of like algorithmic amplification. Like, how do these things take these things that are more inflamed, more inflammatory, more divisive, and and create that um, sort of swirl within a bubble? Um, and I think one thing is is for you, you know, to talk about these things in front of in front of groups like this, because a lot I don't think a lot of people understand the way the algorithms work. Uh, most of it is hidden from us, and so it's sort of easy to to be to be taken in by it. But it helps if you understand it a little bit. Um, but we are definitely interested in the possibility of and, and looking at at legislation. There's going to be a task force next year, but I'd be I'd be interested in talking to you about that. If that's something you're working on. Oh, definitely. And I know that even on the national level, uh, we're a member of uh, NCSL. The National Council of State Legislators, and they've had uh, multiple presentations on other mm. states that are looking at this algorithm as well. Um, this phenomenon and and um, you know how it's integrated with listening devices as well. You know, um, my my favorite example is I was talking about um, the house that we bought in college, and I was talking about the peony plant that kept coming back year after year, no matter how many times we tried to remove it. And then uh, the next day, why would you try to remove the peony plant? Peonies are great. I love, I do love them. <laughs> I do love them. But we wanted to move it and um, reposition it. And uh, uh, the next day on my feed, I got multiple, multiple hits on peony plants and how to grow peonies. And and um, so it's so it's not only just the algorithm, but it's the listening devices that that feed into this algorithm as well. And so if um, if somebody uh, says something uh, that might be discriminatory in nature and the algorithm picks it up and then all of a sudden on their feed, they're getting more and more, like you said, amplification of of negativity that um, really, really can have uh, devastating and, and horrible effects on our, our community. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's only rising, the, the force that these things have. I, I am I am a little bit optimistic. I think there seems to be a growing realization that some more controls and guardrails and, and, and regulation will be needed. Oh, absolutely. Well, hopefully I know that there's been hearings on the federal level with regards to this. And I know, as you said, we have a task force looking at this on the on the state level. But I, I do believe the the we can only do so much on the state and, and it is time for federal leaders to stand up and, and really start regulating um, some of the destructiveness, as you said, um, the health benefits, isolationism, we've seen an uh, uh, increase in, in suicide um, of our young folks, uh, I believe, eight, you know, uh, 13 to 21, it, it's the it's the second leading cause of death in our 13 to 21 year olds is, is suicide. So there there's a significant amount of uh, issues with regards to social media. Is there anything else you want us to touch on, either the the Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes or the um, or the department itself uh, that that we didn't we didn't touch upon uh, during our discussion today? Um, well, the department has a training institute that a lot of people don't know about that develops training on the Human Rights Act on DEI. On sexual harassment, things like that, that are then 
used around the state, but we, we can also come and do trainings for businesses and things like that. So that's a good thing to be aware of. Um, and the, the commission, I think I, I would just really encourage people to spread the word about the commission and to use us as a place, as a resource uh, to help with, with any of these issues around the state uh, and, to, and to bring us information about what, what's going on. I, I definitely reiterate that and, and stay tuned for the helpline because we really hope that'll make a big difference next year. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think I think the helpline or help chat, um, you know, individuals now are are tech savvy. So I think just as many ways as we can reach out to people uh, is really important. And, and I'm sure you have all this talked about that one. That's, that's an interesting one. Help chat. Yeah. Write yeah. That down. <laughs> I just I just know that from the VA, the VA has, yeah. a, has a chat function as well. <laughs> so. Uh, maybe something to look into. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And then you have all this information on your website. Um, and then uh, do you want to just tell everybody your website and um, any relevant phone numbers you want to, so that they can uh, look it up if they're interested? Yeah. Uh, so the, the department's website is dhr.illinois.gov. Um, and there's now a new online like digital contact form. If you have questions, if you're not sure if you have a case, if you're trying to get routed to the right person, um, it's also a good opportunity for me to reiterate that we, when it comes to hate crime or human rights violations, err on the side of reporting. If you're not sure if you have a case, if you're not sure if it was illegal, err on the side of, um, of reaching out because it very well may be. And even if it isn't, it's helpful for us to know, like the borderline cases are not meaningless either. Um, so, so please, please reach out. Um, and there are there are a couple of phone numbers on that contact page. We, there's a, a line staffed by attorneys if you have if you're trying to understand bits of the law. There's a line staffed by investigators if you're trying to learn a little bit more about the process and see how you might go about it. And then, what if it's it's systematic and people want to be anonymous and they don't want their name on there? Is there a way to report things anonymously? Because I know sometimes when you're talking about job discrimination. Uh, people will be in, in, they don't go to their HR department because they are afraid of retribution or being labeled. Is there a way to submit things anonymously as well, or uh, is it all a case by case individual basis? Uh, in general, there is a confidentiality to the process and the investigations that applies. I, I'm sorry, I'm not actually 100% sure what the procedure is if you wanted like a different kind of guaranteed anonymity. Um, I mean, you could certainly like send an email or, or, or call the department anonymously, but um, I'm not sure if there's a more like formal way to do that. Sorry. But there, but it's confidential. So if somebody uh, yeah. creates a report, you're not going to say, Jane Smith reported on you, you're, you're going to do it in a very confidential way so that it doesn't jeopardize their employment or their housing with regards to any complaints that you're given. Yes. And I, I would add to that that the, one of the things that people may not realize the act has is that um, there are retaliation protections. Because in general, if, if you certainly if you proceed with an investigation, they have to reach out. They have to talk to the people that you're alleging. Uh, have, have 
have broken the law. Um, so that's one of the reasons why the retaliation protections are so strong in the act. Um, and that those are broad, they apply to all of the all of the aspects of the act and and even to um, retaliation at the, the prospect of 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 reporting. Oh, fabulous. Well, I just know that people are con uh, always concerned about um, complaining and and <laughs> and um, getting retaliated against or getting just, you know, unfortunately discriminated against for reporting discrimination. Uh, they're always uh, afraid of those kind of things and to ensure that those protections are in place, I think are, are very vital to ensuring that people do um, report when there's all different kinds of, of discrimination happening in their workplace or in their employment or in other other aspects. And it's not just for businesses too, it's nonprofits and it's it's community-wide. And sometimes those are those are always issues and they're things that we can are very concerned about because they prevent people from availing themselves of the rights that that we want them to have. Um, and I I will say that sometimes people do come to us sort of through intermediaries, through a state representative, through an alderman, through an advocacy group as a first step when they're when they're not sure for those reasons. And and that's a hundred percent correct. Our office is open to helping with anybody to connect with you guys. And um, as as I said as well, uh, Alderman in the city of Aurora, and there are other groups that are available to help with this as well. If folks aren't comfortable going directly to the department, they can certainly come, like you said, through um, alternative means as well. Very good. Well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to give a quick review on the state side. You can hang out with us or you can log off, Jason. We really appreciate you taking the time this morning to expand a little bit more on um, the human rights, uh, the Illinois Department of Human Rights and uh, the Commission on Discrimination and Hate Crimes and then the Commission on Human Rights as we uh, look to uh, December 10th, as was International Human Rights Day, uh, to make sure that um, everybody uh, is, is free from discrimination and harassment. And, um, you know, we just live this life the best we can, and, and we hope that other people do as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And anyone, please feel free to, to email me first name dot last name jason rosenzweig at illinois.gov fabulous and we'll put that in the the chat as well so that folks that are listening or who might be listening later on on facebook and then also jason this is a podcast as well so uh having you on today really uh hopefully uh will spread the word and then uh we look forward to having the 1-800 number up and running in 2024 happy holidays everyone thank you so much as to you have a great holiday season all right, we thank you, Jason. All right, we're moving back on week in review. I do a little bit of week in review. Um, some of the things that I was able to uh, participate in this week, uh, if you uh, follow along, I was at the uh, 2023 North American Trade and Economic Ties Seminar. Uh, so this was hosted by the Illinois Public Pension Fund in association uh, in collaboration with the Mexican and the Canadian consulate. So it was very interesting to show um, the North American trade routes, 
uh, the routes that go straight from Mexico all the way up to Canada, and in between, the amount of trade that Illinois has with regards to our, our southern and northern borders uh, partners, and how the um, the change uh, from the North American Trade Agreement, uh, NAFTA, to um, the USMCA, uh, the United States, uh, Mexican, and Canada agreement, how it changed and how uh, things, uh, how it changed for the better, how it changed for the worse, and uh, things that we can look on to Illinois to foster more trade between our partners, uh, not only trade in uh, coming in, but trade going out and uh, definitely working together as uh, trade partners. It was very informative. It was um very nice to meet the Mexican and the Canadian consulates and to talk about how in Illinois, Illinois being the fifth largest state in the United States and uh, a significantly large when you look at other other countries uh, throughout the world with our um, economics and our buying power. So definitely that was a really great uh, commission. Uh, and then um, on December 14th, uh, the ACLU presented Illinois Annual Legislator Awards, and I was um, honored to get a recipient of one of those awards for uh, Senate Bill 2323. Uh, so what, what that law did, and we've talked about it before, is it prohibits the use of restraints on youth and care. Uh, what was happening is um, when an individual was uh, entered into the foster system, they were youth in care for the state of Illinois, they were when they would get transported, they would automatically be put in restraints. There would be no documentation, no reason why uh, they were put in restraints. And some of these youth in care were put in restraints for hours upon hours of travel. Uh, the state of Illinois is a large state. Uh, obviously, it takes about six hours to go from north to south, if not longer. And some of these longer road trips, they were in shackles, to be honest, um, when they were transporting. So uh, again, this is one of those bills that I, I often label as the bills that um, I wish we didn't have to pass. <laughs> uh, this goes along with the garbage bag bills when you have uh, children that are youth in care and the department didn't bother to even put their belongings in a bag. They would throw all their belongings in a trash bag. Uh, several years ago, I, I helped pass the um the uh, I call it the anti-trash bag, which uh, just requires the department to give uh, the youth that are coming into foster care and put their belongings in an actual bag, a duffel bag, um, a bag of uh, reasonable reasonableness, not a trash bag, because you're sending a message to the child that all your belongings are trash and they're putting in a trash bag. Uh, so uh, now, they are uh, required by law to put all their belongings in a, like a duffel bag, a real bag, a travel bag. Uh, here's another one of those laws that we have to pass to direct the department. So if you understand, we pass laws that direct the departments on what to do. Um, and so this is a law that prohibits the use of restraints on the youth in care when they're traveling. And this includes uh, chemical, manual, mechanical uh, restraints, uh, during the provision of any transportation services provided to or arranged by the Department of Children and Family Services or its contractual assigns. So when this situation came up, the Department of Children and Family Services says, oh, well, it's not us. We contracted this transport company. We were not under the um, purview on how they transported the kids because they contracted it. This is one of those 
false narratives that say uh, privatization is better. Uh, it's not always better. And this is a situation where it's not better because the state uh, loses some of that control, loses some of that oversight when they contractually out services. So what we had to do is change the law to prohibit it and also prohibit it not only for the Department of Children and Family Services, but also whomever they contract with. Um, these children, they are entering into the foster care system. They've already been traumatized one way or another. And then to compound that by bad behavior through the department or through its contractual assign uh, uh, contractual assignments um, is just horrific and uh, terrible. So here's a law that um, I passed in the House. Uh, my colleague, uh, Senator Sarah Feigenholz, passed in the Senate uh, and uh, hopefully... Um, you know, just helps these kids a little bit more because it's, it was just, it's, it's beyond words, beyond words. Uh, some of the treatment and some of the things that I hear from the youth in care, the youth, the foster care alumni association uh, and uh, individuals that have gone through so much. And then to have horrific treatment from the state of Illinois as well, um, because when a child comes into our foster care system, the, trade of, the state of Illinois is assuming that that guardianship and that care of that child, and uh, it needs to be taken seriously. So that's um, definitely, I you know, I, I want to say I was just doing my job. It, it shouldn't be a bill that garners an award, but um, but I appreciate the ACLU uh, recognizing those efforts uh, to um, to try to uh, do all we can for our foster uh, foster children, the, the youth in care. And then on Saturday, wreaths across America. If you've never been to the um, National Lincoln Cemetery there in Elmwood, uh, it's 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 an amazing um, place of reflection and peace and tranquility. Uh, our veterans are are laid to rest there. The um, ceremonies are 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 really uh, moving. I've gone there a couple times with some of my my veterans that are friends have passed away, and and they do a phenomenal job paying respects for our fallen for our fallen veterans uh for those that are no longer with us that uh as as we like to say in the american legion that have moved on to post everlasting um and of course um you know most likely that's where i'll i'll go as well when uh when the day comes whoever knows when it comes but um but wreaths across america has an initiative to put a wreath on on the graves of uh of our fallen and our, our uh, veterans that have passed away. And um, there are over 70,000 uh, veterans that are interned there. And uh, this year they had uh, about 36,000 wreaths to put on tombstones. There are families that sponsored wreaths that go on a tombstone. And um, even though some of those families can't be there, and, and even though the weather was terrible, uh, the volunteers still showed up. And they're encouraged to um, take a picture of the wreath and text it or send it, email it to the family so they know that their loved one is taken care of and honored in this holiday season. I know the holiday season can be difficult for a lot of folks. And there are organizations out there that can help uh, if you're struggling with uh, either seasonal depression or the weight of the holidays, overwhelmed, it, it happens to everybody. Uh, you're not alone and, and definitely you can reach out and get help from services. You can also, if you're a veteran, you can reach out and get help from the VA. Uh, definitely, we want to make sure that the holiday season um, is good for everybody, even those that struggle a little bit. 
with regards to um, Christmas just being right around the corner. It always comes up and gets me every single year. I'll be honest with you. I don't even have a tree up right now, hoping to get up this week, hoping uh, I got lights out, outside on, uh, some decorations outside, not a lot, but um, definitely it's a little overwhelming. I'll be quite honest with you, but uh, we had uh, keep going and, and get up and move along. And, uh, you know, people have family and friends that uh, care about you and, um, you know, you definitely want to make, I've said definitely like six times, but uh, that's my go-to word. <laughs> want to have a decent holiday season. Um, and if you need anything, and, and if you need anything, you can call my office. They're here to help. Uh, you can text me. My number is online. Uh, it's real. Seasonal depression is real. The way the holidays is real. Um, those that have lost loved ones. And at the end of this month, I get to see my son. But not having him for the holidays is a little real, too. You know, uh, you miss them. So uh, reach out. And with that, with that, I forgot to talk about our cup of the day. This is a great one because it's kind of snowy out today. This is my little um, polar bear mug with his Santa cap on. This is one of my favorites. Uh, everywhere I go, I get a mug. And uh, I need to start writing on like the bottom of the mug or something with a Sharpie where I get it from. I remember getting it. I can't tell you exactly where I got it from, but um, it's one of my favorite mugs, uh, coffee mugs of the day. So wear your hat today. It's a little bit chilly. Snow is on the ground. However, you know, I'm not a weatherman, but according to the weatherman, we might not have snow on Christmas, but uh, that can change. But uh, that's exactly um, keep warm and um if your heat is out, if you need help, again, call my office. There's assistance for heating. There's warming centers, but there's also assistance for your heating bill. We talked about that last week. On the local level, somebody I've known ever since I was an alderman with the city of Aurora. The years go by so fast, um, but we want to wish a happy retirement to Aurora Police Commander Liz Robinson-Chan, uh, she is retiring after serving our community since 1993. Um, now, I was elected in 2003, uh, so I've known her that, that whole time. So I, I met her, um, you know, about a decade after she started or so, uh, or two decades, uh, yeah. And um, so definitely, I've known her for a long time. And uh, wonderful, wonderful, amazing, amazing woman. I'm so blessed to have called her a friend. Um, Commander Robinson Chan, she was appointed as a police officer for City of Aurora Police Department on September 27th, 1993. 1993 is the year I was uh, um, in Okinawa. In 94, I got out of the military. So uh, so it's, it's it was, you know. 30-some years ago. Uh, she was promoted to the rank of sergeant in June of 2012, lieutenant in July of 2020, and commander in April of 2022. So uh, she, as a police officer, she served as a patrol officer and a community-oriented policing officer. Uh, as a sergeant, she was a patrol supervisor, evidence unit supervisor, patrol support sergeant. As a lieutenant, Commander Robinson Chan served as the Area 2 Second shift lieutenant and the administrative services lieutenant as a commander she oversaw the support services bureau and the administrative services bureau throughout her amazing career 
Uh, Commander Robinson Chan was a Spanish translator, a DARE instructor, a bike officer, a character counts instructor, SLEA instructor for crime scene practicals, field training officer, deadly force domesticated team member, PBPA board member, uh, PBPA board secretary for APD, and PBPA state board member as the youth activities director, a WARS Women's Empowerment Foundation member. She's a noble board member as secretary and vice president and the employee review board commander. She was employee of the month for August 1994 and employee of the month for May of 2020. So we want to offer up uh, uh, congratulations on a well-deserved retirement. She will be missed. She is just an amazing person. Um, She's one of those individuals who started at the old police station, which has since been destroyed in Aurora. It was... um, There's a police station that was built to serve 50,000 residents in the city of Aurora. And then, of course, Aurora was 150, 180,000 residents and now uh, close to 200,000 residents. And I always laugh when we would tour that place. uh, Laugh, not funny, but the it was so uneven that there was a string of file cabinets and none of them touched. They always bowed. There was a huge gap between both of them. They, They touched at the bottom and didn't touch at the top. It was um, just a site. It was a horrible, um, horrible building and it then needed to go. And then um, she was one of the, you know, got to transition to the new police station, which is on Indian Trail. And um, just a remarkable difference. Uh, the old police station used to have the 911 center in the basement right next to the evidence room. And when the laws changed that, you have to keep evidence for uh for life pretty much in perpetuity um the 911 operators would tell me on how certain items of evidence would come in of a of a certain stench and then there is no no circulation down there there was no um no way in which they could get ventilation in that basement it was built uh you know with the idea that um if there's a bomb threat or something the 911 dispatch would not be affected because uh, it was in the basement, properly protected. So in uh, the new police station, the 911 operators have uh, access to ventilation and windows and and far away from the evidence room. Uh, but in addition to that, we also, uh, I know in Aurora, has an off-site center as well, just in case of emergencies. So there's a little little trivia there with um, the police department, the new the new building. Um, versus the old building that has since been d- uh, demolished. And um, Liz was in both of those. So congratulations again to Liz on her retirement. Now, an individual that I have known for a long time, talking about retirements, Jim Pelmer. I knew Jim Pelmer back when I was an alderman with the city of Aurora. He was a director of the Parks Department. Uh, we had a wonderful working direction, a, a wonderful working um, relationship And then he uh, was hired on as the executive director of the Fox Valley Park District. And I cannot believe it's already been eight years. (laughs) It seems like just yesterday he took the job and he did an amazing job at the Fox Valley Park District. Well, um, we have to say that uh, Jim is, is going to really enjoy his retirement, being the outdoorsman person he is. Uh, congratulations on your retirement, uh, Jim Pilmer, from the Fox Valley Park District. And on Monday night, now the um, Fox Valley Park District Board of Commissioners 
unanimously appointed Jennifer Paparaki, who has been with the district for 12 years. And for the past three years, she's been the director of finance. So she has now become the seventh executive director in the Park District's 76-year history. She gave us a quote that talks about, uh, this is what uh, Jennifer Paparaki said, now executive director. Paparaki says, uh, overseeing finance and human resources, in addition to being an active user of our programs and services, has given me the opportunity to work closely with every level of our agency in different capacities. Uh, she continued to say, as a parent who lives in the community, it allows me to experience so many district-run activities through the lens of a resident. So uh, the Fox Valley area has a wonderful Fox Valley Park District. Uh, I encourage people to uh, go online, sign up for their classes. We've had um, events at the Eola Center, which is a combo library, Fox Valley Park District building. In addition to they have um, they run the water parks in the summertime. They also have the Vaughn Athletic Center and the Prisco Center downtown. So uh, check out the Fox Valley Park District. And um, congratulations to my good friend, Jim Pilmer, in his retirement. And congratulations to Jennifer Paprocki for her um, unanimous appointment to be the executive director of the Fox Valley Park District. So those are a couple local uh, local tidbits. Um, going on to the General Assembly, we're going to start. So the 2024 spring legislative session starts Tuesday, January 16th, and it runs through the end of May. We're working really hard right now because uh, there is a deadline to request any bills by January uh, 19th. And uh, and then we have to file those bills by February 9th. And there's a change in process. I talked about this last week. So we're working really hard right now. Um, I'm working a little bit harder these next couple of weeks because um, I'm scheduled to visit my son again in Japan. Uh, and we are leaving just after Christmas. So we're going to be me and my daughter. I say we because last year I went just myself. And this year it's me and my daughter. We're able to go visit my son uh, we'll get there just before New Year's and we're going to be there uh, through the first couple of weeks in January. Um, and uh, so um, so I have a little bit more of a condensed time than than other folks do when they're working on these bills and these bill submissions. So a little bit of pressure, but uh, we'll we'll get it all submitted and I have a great staff. So that being said, anybody who encounters something that they think, hmm, there should be a law for this or we need to change the law on this, or uh, we need to work together to uh, do something in the community that might need a law, uh, please reach out to me, reach out to my office, send me an email. Uh, I'm getting things and I, I try to keep track of my Facebook. Not as good as, as email, but still catching some um, messages on Facebook that you send me or send me a text. And uh, we can certainly look into that and uh, like I said, uh, again, I know I'm repeating myself. I'm uh, I'm in the business of repeating myself. But as I said last time, uh, working with Stacy, I just saw her at the VFW Christmas party on Saturday. And uh, uh, working with her to um, input are repaired. And that needs a change in the law. And she came to me and said, we need to change the law. And I said, we're on it. So uh, working with her, everyday people can be a catalyst to make good things happen on the legislative level as well. So please, please, please uh, reach out 
and um and let me know so that we can we can start working on things as well um a couple things again there had been some talk and uh back uh, a couple months ago the ICC rejected uh rates um increased by comet and people and Amarin, um and and the ICC again ICC is the Illinois Commerce Commission uh, they again rejected Ameren, Illinois, and ComEd's integrated grid plans by a four-to-one vote, finding that both companies failed to comply with several components of the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, also known as CEJA. Uh, the commission's decisions found that both utilities failed to sufficiently incorporate customer affordability into their proposals, and their grid plans did not outline how 40% of the plan benefits will be directed to low-income and environmental justice communities, among other things. Uh, so again, this is um, the ICC has the overview of of rates in the utility companies, and uh, so um, Ameren and, and Comed need to uh, work to find a a good component with regards to um, the grid plans that they promoted. So it's been a bit of a um, I know there, there's many individuals watching this. Um, you know, expanding the grid creates a lot of jobs and 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 is for reliability. But there's also a component um, with regards to rates and how high rates can go with regards to how much profit they make. Uh, so it is a back and forth. And that's kind of the role of the Illinois Commerce Commission uh, with regards to our utility partners that we work with. Uh, we talked about this again, I believe last time, uh, bears repeating again, Congratulations to the Illinois Department of Natural Resources for conducting a 10-day intensive harvest operation in the Starved Rock Pool of the Illinois River. If you haven't been to Starved Rock, it's a, a, a beautiful place to go. Uh, lots of hiking uh, this time of year. If if you get a really good snowfall, obviously just warm, but it's, it's picturesque and, and just uh, amazing. Uh, however, uh, 700 Asian carp, silver carp, same thing. It's the largest single removal effort from IDNR undertaken, and it is believed to be the record of freshwater harvest within the state of Illinois, or within the United States, not just state of Illinois, the United States. Uh, we talked a little bit about this when we talked about um, earlier on with Jason but the Illinois Department of Public Health is accepting applications for suicide prevention grants. Applications will be accepted through uh, February 2nd. So please go to the Illinois Department of Public Health's website uh, for more information with regards to that. Finally, um, and it's just this is just information for you to know uh, for what it's worth, what the state is doing and, and what it's not doing, but um, Medicaid. So Medicare is on the federal level. Medicaid is on the state level. Uh, and uh, so Medicaid is helps um, with coverage as well. And many people sometimes have both Medicaid and Medicare um, coverage. So uh, I have a thing called redetermination because Medicaid has qualifiers to, to apply for Medicaid, uh, low-income and, and disabled individuals and frail elderly. Um, so uh, we need to redetermine whether an individual should remain on Medicaid or not. Uh, mostly this is if somebody gets a job and gets health insurance through their work, 
you know, their income increases or whatnot. Um, so there's there's these redeterminations. So Illinois has been going through this redetermination, and we are having the highest renewal rate among states. So redetermination is not geared towards how many people we can kick off Medicaid. That's not the way it works. It's just making sure that we are compliant with the federal government guidelines. We are compliant with the guidelines in which individuals qualify for Medicaid. So what we're finding is that a lot of the individuals that are already on Medicaid um, need to stay on Medicaid. They still qualify to be on Medicaid. So our renewal rate is the highest among the states, uh, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation Medicaid Enrollment and Unwinding Tracker. Uh, there's there's all sorts of things, and, and that's another one of them. Uh, Medic the Kaiser Family Foundation looks at Medicaid enrollment. So prior to the redeterminations, uh, they reserved earlier this year. We didn't have to redetermine because because um, of COVID. So we haven't had to go through this process since March of 2020. And there was a lot of concern whether individuals would um, would would remember to, to fill out the paperwork and to go online and get redetermined. Uh, so the federal government declared the end of the public health emer emergency and the continuous Medicaid enrollment requirement this year. We were giving several options on when to resume our annual Medicaid redeterminations. And according to the data tracker at the state of uh, the unwinding process, Illinois and Maine have the highest renewal rates among all states at 90%. So 90% of the individuals that were on Medicaid qualified to remain on Medicaid under the guidelines established by the federal government and the state government. So um, if you know anybody who hasn't received the renewal redetermination form, they currently receive Medicaid benefits, I, I encourage them to to turn that in. Uh, but we are doing our job to make sure that those that are on Medicaid deserve to stay on Medicaid and they fall within, again, the requirements. I'm repeating myself, but sometimes, you know, it, it helps to hear things uh, a couple times. So uh, definitely that's, uh, like I said, that's the business I'm in. We had talked a bit about the Supreme Court, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, the, the, the Illinois Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, and uh, the law that Illinois passed that bans assault-style weapons and also enacts a registration component. Um, the United States Supreme Court declined to block the Illinois law banning assault-style weapons. What does this mean? So uh, this means that um, the so one one particular lawsuit, there's been several, one particular lawsuit went up through the Seventh Court of Appeals and uh, found that the law was constitutional based on the United States Constitution. So again, a little bit of a reminder, federal courts, federal courts look at the constitutionality of something as the backdrop of our nation's constitution. State laws and the state Supreme Court looks at at laws based on the the um, intent of the Illinois state constitution. So when we talk about these laws and and these these uh, court cases that are going through the courts, there is some with regards to the assault style weapon ban that went through the Illinois court and were decided by the Illinois Supreme Court. That's based on Illinois Constitution. This uh, decision that I'm talking about right now went through the federal courts 
It went through the, uh, I believe, the the seventh appellate court, U.S. appellate court, and was uh, appealed to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court declined to hear this appeal, which leaves the appellate court's decision in place. And so the appellate court's decision maintains uh, Illinois' law banning assault-style weapons. So just to reiterate, individuals that talk about a law being against the Constitution are just talking of their own opinion. Because in our system, and I realize, again, this is a little bit of a Civics 101 course, we have our checks and balance system. The legislature is checked by the executive branch and the judicial branch. And then the legislature can pass laws that affect the executive branch. And, you know, so it's our checks and balance system. The only entity that can adjudicate constitutionality of a law is the court system, the court system. So if these individuals are going around saying this is unconstitutional, this is unconstitutional, and they're not lawyers and they're not in the judicial system, they're not appellate court judges, they're not U.S. Supreme Court justice, they really have no basis to saying that except for their opinion. So what we are talking about today is the United States Supreme Court declined to block an Illinois law banning assault-style weapons, leaving the law in place. Now, there are other proceedings uh, before federal appellate courts and those kind of things that are still going through. However, the law remains in place right now. This is the second time that they have declined to halt uh, the statewide ban. Uh, and uh, so it's something to take note. As of right now, the U.S. Supreme Court has not ruled that the law banning assault-style weapons is unconstitutional based on the United States Constitution. Bears repeating. Not As of now, the United States Supreme Court has not declared the Illinois law banning assault-style weapons to be against the United States Constitution. Just want to put that out there. Uh, this is the fact. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we like to talk about facts in this world. So... Um, there are, again, other federal appellate court cases going through the system as well. So in the future, this might change. I'm just talking about at this point in time. So uh, they and, and, and some of these other uh, court cases, um, you know, have different frameworks for evaluating the constitutionality of the firearms restrictions and, and the like. So just to reiterate, the Illinois law restricts the sale and purchase of semi-automatic assault weapons, which are defined as a magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition for long guns, more than 15 rounds for handguns. Um, and so in this law, this 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 court case, uh, it was brought by Robert Beavis, a gun shop owner, and the National Association for Gun Rights. They filed their challenge shortly after the ban was enacted and asked the federal district court to block the law. But that did not happen. So um, that's where we stand today with regards to that. And then um, also in the federal court, one of the things that our attorney general does is... Um, collaborates with other attorney generals across the nation. And so today, the NCAA was um, 
sued with regards to an antitrust lawsuit that uh, the attorney generals, including Illinois uh, Attorney General Carmine was Raul, um, brought against the NCAA challenging a Division I college athlete transfer rule. So this rule apparently was applied arbitrarily, some waivers granted and others denied for no legitimate reason. Uh, it also contended that it unfairly restrict the athlete, athlete's ability to market their own personal brand and to uh, control their education. So the U.S. District Court Judge John Preston Bailey uh, issued a 14-day restraining order on December 13th, delaying the enforcement of the NCAA's transfer eligibility rule, which would force Division I athletes to sit out a year following multiple transfers. The judge ruling prevents the NCAA from enforcing the transfer rule now until December 27th. At that time, the judge will consider the state's motion to extend the order until a full trial can be held. So this is seen as a, um, a big positive step with regards to this. Um, granting the temporary restraining order, the judge prohibited the NCAA from enforcing a restitution rule designed to allow the NCAA to punish athletes and schools in retaliation for this legal action. So that's... Um, that's the different rules. Uh, one other thing, the health rankings put Illinois in the middle. Again, there's another rankings. If you want to know what goes across my desk, it's 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 reports, it's rankings, it's it's all sorts of data. Uh, it would bore you if I told you all the data I read through. But Illinois is in the middle in the latest health rankings released by the United Health Foundation and the American Public Health Association. But while very few Illinoisans report frequent mental distress, the state ranks 45th in preventable hospital deaths. That's something we definitely need to work on. Uh, the 2023 America's Health Rankings is the most comprehensive it has ever been with data on 87 different measures from 28 different sources. So again, um, nationwide, the report is the highest ever levels of eight chronic conditions and found striking disparities by nearly every measured demographic group. Illinois ranks ninth best in the nation for its levels of chronic conditions, but contributors of chronic disease still needs to be addressed. Uh, there was a 20% rise in diabetes uh, from 9.7% of adults to 11.6%. Uh, Illinois ranks in the top 10 states in terms of occupational deaths and measures of dental care, and the full report is still a call to action for policymakers and healthcare professionals to identify and improve the most pressing healthcare issues. We're working really hard on the state of Illinois. We put more money in the budget for mental health, and, and, and looking at these disparities more needs to be done uh, by all means, but uh, as far as the, the budget process, um, really embracing and working with the governor with regards to helping these these health issues so upcoming events i always say happy holidays everybody uh not everybody but some people like to um just stick with one holiday and and say merry christmas however however there are a lot of holidays that are between uh hanukkah that are between now and um the new year and into the new year uh, and so it is really, uh, I believe, respectful to say happy holidays of everybody, uh, including those that uh, celebrate Festivus and uh, or doesn't celebrate any holiday at all. 
with regards to uh, there's the season. So the holiday season, uh, December 25th is Christmas, December 26th is Kwanzaa, January 1st is the New Year's, uh, Three Kings Day and, and the like. And then of course, Hanukkah and, and all the other holidays that we have in between there. Um, in, in years past, I've done a nationwide um, Google search of all the holidays and the different uh, the different places of the world that celebrate these holidays. And there's a lot of them in the month of December and January, I have to tell you. Our next coffee chat is Monday, January 8th. As I said, I'll be traveling uh, in Japan. Uh, that'll be the day I'm traveling uh, from Japan. So, and there's a significant time zone change. So I will not be on the Zoom. However, as was before when I was at a conference, it will be hosted by uh, none other than uh, Nick in my office. I think he did a great job last time. Him and Maria did a wonderful job uh, next Monday, January 8th, starting out the year. And then the Monday after that will be will be um, right before going back to Springfield. Believe it or not, January 15th. So we will give you an update on how things look for the first week of Springfield session, which is going to be January 16th. So I will be back on the Zoom uh, January 15th. I might be able to pop in and say hello on January 8th, but I'm not quite sure of that. I don't know how the travel session is going to be. But with that, I hope everybody has a great week a great holiday season, ring in the new year wonderfully. And, um, and I'll be chatting with you soon as normal, uh, hand sanitize, keep some distance, wear, wear a mask. If you have to, if you're not feeling well, wear a face covering, uh, make there's, there's a lot of things out there, RSV. And, and as I said before, uh, pneumonia, respiratory, uh, not just COVID, make sure you get your vaccines as well, but, uh, you know, be safe out there. And, I'm going to stress it again. The holidays can be very, very stressful for a lot of people, not only in the veteran community, but just in general. If you are stressed, if you're feeling a little down, don't hesitate to reach out. Even if it's just a smidge, even if it's just a little bit, little bit, just reach out to somebody. Um, you know, do a buddy check. If there's somebody out there you think might be a little down, do a buddy check. Say, how's it going, buddy? How are you doing? Um, you know, I have people... Uh, I reach out to people a lot. People reach out to me, text, call. You can text me. It's all good. It is all good to reach out and um, and talk to somebody. It seasons this type of, it gets darker earlier. It, it The weather sucks. You know, it's hard to get moving in the morning. Totally understandable. Uh, never hurts to reach out to somebody, even a buddy, even a friend. So with that, again, I will... Uh, I will say I will sign off for the last year of 2023. Looking forward to 2024. Everybody had a have a great and wonderful holiday season. Take care, everybody. Be well, stay warm, be safe, and we'll see you next year with a wrap-up of all the laws that go into effect. I think Nick will touch on some of those as well, but all the laws that go into effect January 1, 2024. Take care, everybody.